Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to the Night 320 Podcast Friday Show. The show that wonders how many more economic levers Barcelona will have to pull to avoid playing Manchester United in the Europa League. Uh, we're looking at the both eventful and uneventful during Copenhagen, and of course, mostly concentrating on the huge match at Anfield on Sunday. Perhaps a quick mention of a clickbait journalism too. To discuss all this, delighted to welcome a Champions League level panel. It's Chris, Harry and Lloyd. Uh, good morning, Chris. How are you doing? Good morning. Um, yeah, I'm good. I've actually got a rare day off work today. So wow. it's, uh, I'm doing some work in the house, as usual. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and looking forward to the... I've got a busy weekend, got a couple of fixtures to referee, and then looking forward to the game on uh, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, all good, thanks. Yeah, uh, yesterday afternoon off to do my big clean. And guess how many minutes of that big clean I did? <laughs> Three. Four. Close. It was, it was two. So uh, <laughs> I'll give you one point in the first quiz question of the day. Two minutes and then I gave up and put the TV on. So absolutely pathetic. So anyway, <laughs> also on the show today. Good morning, Harry. How are you doing? Yeah, morning lads. Similar to Chris, finally got a day off. Looking forward to the weekend, all that stuff. Got anything planned for the day then? Uh, no, I I am actually just working from home. Really, uh, I do say I have a day off, and then I end up doing more work. So you know, not really a day off, but from the comfort of my own bedroom, basically. Mm. I should also say I took the uh, Tuesday afternoon off as well. But was it no Wednesday? And uh, went to see Smile the movie. Don't know if any of you are aware of it, but I've um, I've seen it. Good God, <laughs> that put me in a cracking mood for the rest of the day. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a nasty piece of work, but I still think it's worth seeing. Oh, oh, yeah, I've seen it, Chris. Yeah, yes, I've seen it. Yeah, I think it's. I'm not really a horror fan, so I don't know what I'm supposed to think about it. I thought it was excellent. Mm. Yeah, but also, yeah, good God. Yeah, I think I'll do a romantic comedy next time. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, good morning, Lloyd. How are you? Morning. Yeah, I think rom-coms are more more hocking vibes, aren't they? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. I'll be honest, I hate them. So I think I'll rather do a horror movie next time. So yeah, you doing well? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm all right. I get my uh, scan results for my knee today, so I will either be in a very good mood or a very average mood. Let's see. Good luck is all I can say. Mm. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So. Still in a lot of pain, I assume. So hard to know what the results will be, isn't it? So. Slightly less, although the codeine is uh, definitely doing its job. I've been yeah. sending some uh, some slightly drowsed emails for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm not too bad. Not emails that just tail off, do they? Uh, Mid sentence. I don't know. I'd have to double check. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would if I were you, just to be sure. So. Anyway, before we really get going with the true football, uh, we're going to look back, basically, quickly, briefly, at the Copenhagen match. couple of issues. We mentioned the review, but I think worth uh, mentioning again, that stuck out for me uh, on this Friday show, worth mentioning for a few minutes. And, of course, most of the show will be a preview of a huge match on Sunday. But quickly, let's start with you, Chris. Before we really get going... I assume we've all seen that Scott Wilson piece in the Northern Echo. If you're listening to this mm. uh, and don't know what I'm talking about, do pause and check it out for two minutes. It's probably worth your while because uh, I found it hilarious in many respects because there's just some outright cult-like lies in there. This is a piece about Newcastle not wanting to become like City. 
But I still, f- and the wise, like 30,000 for a Champions League semi final, not being an atmosphere at the Manchester Derby, him being able to pick any seat he wants for the Sevilla game uh, in a couple of weeks. Just outright lies rather than bad opinions, though there were plenty of them as well. But what's what stuck in my mind a bit, Chris, was weird that something so inaccurate is being put out. This piece involved also included, I think, an interview with someone at the club about how fans are important. And it makes me wonder if the club itself is at least partially behind this in that it wants to project such a view at Newcastle that they're not going to be a city, perhaps because they've seen the way City are portrayed in the media. Does that sound like complete conspiracy theory nonsense from me? Uh, Or sort of Infowars stuff or do you think there could be an element of truth in that? I, I don't know. It's, it's. I'd have to unpick that further, really. I, I think. I think essentially the, the the article is clickbait, and you know, and and it's and so it's, it works. It, yeah, it, so it did work absolutely. You know, we're talking about it now. It's it's. Um, I mean, in the first instance, it's important to say that the article is not about Newcastle United, even though Newcastle United's name is the leader on on the on the subhead. It's it's about City and. And it does reflect something that has increased over the last... I think, actually, it's increased since we bought Haaland so effectively that something that we've known for, for years is that City is a superbly run and, and administrated club. Um, and that's becoming more and more evident uh, and people are, are unable to resist it. Uh, and so that's why they're writing what, what they're writing. And I think I don't look for journalistic integrity with the articles like this, but the, the, the kind of, the, yeah, the, the, the blatant lies and falsehoods in there are, are, are quite grating. However, it's, it, I think what I find interesting is, is, is the, is the thrust of the article at the beginning is, is, you know, you know, Newcastle United needs to avoid being the new Manchester City. Well, if you are in the street and asked 100 Geordies who support uh, Newcastle, would you want to be the new Manchester, the new Manchester City? Rather, I'm, I think the majority of them would say yes because they're well run, they're successful, they've got they've got great players, and they've clearly got longevity and legacy in mind. So it. it, it it's another nonsense piece, but I think what's important about it is what it reflects generally about what's going on in the, in the landscape is that people now are starting to have to accept very bitterly and very hesitantly the fact that City are not a flash in the pan with the new owners. They're a well-run club, and once, once Pep has gone, there's still going to be a really solid legacy in place. And it's just starting to really, you know... It's really starting to impact people because they're seeing the next 20, 30 years of what City can put, can possibly achieve. I mean, there's a lot to be said about atmosphere and obviously it can be bad at City, but it's not a City-specific thing and I might write about that still later today because mm-hmm. very specific things to say about that. And I think the person to his piece and the drivel that's contained within it. I think another element, Harry, I mean, you can say whatever you want, you wish, uh, give you an open form, Harry, about this piece, but also... I doubt, I very much doubt Newcastle fans have a little desire to start up some rivalry, the kind, that sort of rivalry that we have with Liverpool once more, a toxic one. I would yeah. very much doubt that's part of their, you know, of what they want in the future. They just want to be a successful side. So pieces like this don't really do anyone any good whatsoever. Yeah, it's, it's basically just someone who's had a bad day and just decided to to, to pick on the team that they hate the most. I mean, you, what you've just said about the, the atmosphere is, is pretty much spot on, but they've chosen the Manchester derby, the game that I think has been one of the best atmospheres at City in a long, long time. 
Gary Neville on Sky Sports said when one of the goals went in, the, the gantry was literally shaking when when the City fans started doing the Poznan. So that's one lie. And I'm just I'm just reading through it. They, they're speaking to a it's actually a Newcastle official about what they sort of want to do and how they want to involve the fans in it. And sort of by the end of it, they get the idea that basically these things take time. These this ability to grow the fan base externally from you know from from Newcastle outwards is going to take time just like City have done so we've basically learned nothing from the piece and it's just been one massive dig at City with five six seven eight lies in it so look I don't really want to give it much time a day because of how shy it is but basically that's sort of my feelings on it that's a perfect way to move on then isn't it saying that's uh, one piece of advice to Newcastle if they want to maintain brilliant atmosphere don't have away fans up in the gods would be a good start. Mm. There's a reason most clubs put them at ground level or behind goals. It's to help with atmosphere because yeah. they should be treated like second-class citizens. So perhaps you could start there and consider that and then move on. Uh, but yes, Lloyd, unless you want to say something, uh, we will move on to actual football. I shall leave it up to you. Yeah, I've just been reading it uh, whilst you three have been having going back and forth. I mean, like Harry, I'm not too keen on giving it too much a time of day, given I've I've counted there are probably already four or five genuine falsehoods in there. Um, That's why I mentioned it, really. I find it quite a fascinating piece. Yeah. <laughs> it's not I, just like some ex-footballers drivel, it I think there's something deeper there, but yeah, we should. I probably shouldn't have given it time. Now, I think what's interesting is it's it's written with quite an authoritative tone. Um, that if you don't, if you didn't have necessarily the understanding or awareness of what the actual situation is at City, I think you'd read that and go, "Oh yeah, fair enough. Don't want to do that. Don't want to be like that. Thirty thousand. They can't make for the for Champions League semis." Um, I think the only thing I would say to be a bit controversial is I, I suppose there is a slight crumb of truth in there in that there's a line that says, <clears throat> is the journey worth taking if a large section of the existing support base is cast aside along the way? Mm. Now, I don't think that's true at City. Um, and I do think actually, generally, we've managed to bring a lot of the support base with us, so to speak. And I appreciate that sounds like corporate speak. Um, but, um, you know, I think we have grappled with some issues on that front and we've done podcasts about it around ticket prices, how fans are treated, um, etc. So there it's spread a corporate, I would say there's an element of truth in that. Yeah, yeah there is. And I have noticed particularly, um, over the last, I'd say, two seasons, trying to organise um, one-off tickets, um, as in I'm buying, using my season ticket for friends who want to go, i.e. like Chris, who's been on this podcast and visits from Australia or, you know, that kind of situation, that the prices are definitely creeping up and seem to have overtaken a lot of the other clubs. And I do think that has a bit of a negative effect. But I, what I would kind of counter it with is, Equally, atmospheres, when I've been to the Etihad recently, have been as good as they've been for probably 10 years. Um, I think the development that they've done in the South Stand concourse, where I sit, has definitely helped improve things, get people in earlier, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there are good things happening. Um, but I do think it's not it's worth not totally dismissing that question posed because I've, I think we have to be honest and say we have 
all grappled with that a little bit um, over the last kind of 10 to 12 years. Yeah, but I think the key point is if, if Newcastle win four out of five Premier Leagues and are playing at teams like Bournemouth and are 4 0 up and they know they're going to win, let's see how good the atmosphere is in the ground because there is obviously many a situation where games are so obviously won that we're not going to be doing Posdens or <laughs> choreographed dancing in the stands, <laughs> are we? And we're never going to anyway because we're English and we don't do stuff like that. It will be interesting if the North Stand third tier goes ahead, which will be met with ridicule, of course, to see if they're cheap prices as well. Because then that that takes away the spread of corporate because it gives enough seats for a lot more working class fans, so to speak. But that is enough of that. Let's talk football. Briefly, before we look ahead, we're going to look back at Copenhagen. Uh, I'll start with you again, Chris. The reason, one point that I want to mention more, me and uh, Asan did the review and we went about, went on about, yeah, the last hour, nothing really happened. And I'm mm. thinking, afterwards, I was thinking, we did play with 10 men for an hour of this game. You wouldn't have known if you just sat down after 35 minutes and watched the match unless you started counting players. Of course, we're a better side. I checked the odds at half-time. City was still odds-on to win that match at half-time. Have we understated at all the level of performance versus Copenhagen that we can do that with 10 men? Or do you think it's to be expected because we are a far superior side to them? And I guess that just that leads basically to how do you feel about the performances at all? I th- well, I think pre-sending off, we were... We played at a good level. It was clear that Copenhagen were motivated. They they had they had a kind of you know a slightly devil may care attitude. They were they were far more proactive and in our faces than they were in in, in the in the home leg. Um, but after the sending off, I I just thought I, I thought part of the, the, what made it a, a re- relatively uneventful game was I just, I don't think we were very good uh, for that final hour. And I thought I thought I, I saw a lot of sloppiness. I saw a lot of misplaced passes and and a lot of unforced errors as well, really. It was almost as if the sending off had affected City psychologically rather than actually pragmatically on on the pitch. There was a quite, you know, there was a clear gap on the right-hand side of attack where we'd lost a play where Mars had gone off. But apart from that, we retained the same structure. But I just don't think we were very we were very good, um, and I think that's what made for a reasonably dull game because Copenhagen because they're an inferior side to us, we're not able to really capitalise on that. So, I mean, in the end, it was a bizarre game because because despite all the kind of controversy around it, we still qualified and we went through. Um, but yeah, I just, I've, I've seen better, I've seen us play better. And I do think the sending offs uh, affected us, but 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 just in a way that was self-imposed. Really, it was it was it was a game that as soon as it was as it was over, I I, I couldn't remember very much about it. How <laughs> yeah. uh, Pep mentioned some stuff about players not being out, you know, being fatigued before the match that didn't start the match. Though a couple did come on. Do you think as soon as that red card came in uh, happened? Pep, obviously, with nine points on the board, was just being pragmatic, was really the key point in this game not to lose and just get through it with our, with Liverpool on the horizon. Yeah, I'd say so. Probably with that length of time left in the match, maybe if there was a, maybe if it was later in the second half, he'd have been a bit more risky with it. But 
I pretty much just agree with everything Chris has just said, although I did nod off halfway through the second half, so I don't have a full picture. <laughs> of what Chris uh, said. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, you know what, Howard? That in your bullying book, yeah. Good, yeah, it never stops, does it? <laughs> it? It's become habitual for you, seriously. I'm just... <laughs> Harry, carry on. I'm just going to take some notes now. So it's, yeah, 0826, uh, host hockey. <laughs> 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 um, no no I think there was a lot of the, the flailing of the arms that I normally associate with Bruno Fernandes happening in that second half when a pass wasn't going to feet or a pass wasn't going in someone's stride I think they all were getting a bit frustrated uh, it was a bit clunky um, and it felt a bit Manuel Pellegrini last season at times when it just kept going from left to right left to right but I think Pep to answer your question would have been pretty happy with the point considering the length of time we had 10 men on the field and we came away with, not that we know, with any injuries. So I think that'd be a, a bonus for him. Uh, and maybe he would have brought on Bernardo Silva Foden, possibly even Haaland earlier if we had 11 men and we were struggling, but with 10 men. I, I didn't even think he'd bring on Bernardo and Foden. Maybe there's a, a few fitness issues, but but yeah, no, I think to answer your question, he'd be pretty happy with the point in the end. Uh, Lloyd, the importance now of the Dortmund match, if City avoid defeat, they win the group. It goes on head to head first, after all. So the night, as the day as a whole, was fine actually because I expect I started the day expecting to be three points ahead of Dortmund by the end of the round of games, and that's how it turned out because Dortmund couldn't beat Sevilla at home. So a week is a long time in football, obviously. Uh, change of manager might help as well. How important is it for you that City top this group? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is important. Um, obviously, you can still get a difficult team if if you finish top because there are lots of good teams in the Champions League. And I know, you know, Barcelona have got knocked out now. But for example, well, they, not they, quite. They haven't. But yeah, yeah, but it's, but it's not looking good. Yeah, no. I mean, they're basically they're they're basically out, aren't they? So, <laughs> but not mathematically. Um, so, you know, you can get a, a team of that calibre, which would be unfortunate, but, you know, the chances are you won't. So, I do, yeah, I do think it's important, particularly given it, I think it gives you a bit of momentum. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the big positive is is uh, the fact that Dortmund didn't themselves get over the line against Sevilla midweek. I was a little, like a, a small crumb concerned. I wasn't nearly Stefan levels of, uh, of, 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 of worry um, after a nil-nil um, but I mean it's going to it's going to maybe rather you slightly hard but I completely agree with everything Chris said before um, I I didn't I, I didn't think we played particularly well um, after the after the sending off I thought we looked okay beforehand um, and you know I, I, I think it is testament to us and Pep that we can still actually dominate in the way that we did and do sometimes when we go down to 10 men but um, I didn't think Copenhagen were great and I actually didn't think we put much together um, from 30 minutes onwards or whenever it was that Gomez got sent off but we have to deal with the elephant in the room which is something Steve said on his Premier League I think it was the review podcast <laughs> <laughs> I say apparently, I listen to our podcast. He uh, 
he put forward the theory that City could play with 10 men every every week in the Premier League and perhaps finish in the top four. Uh, I think this is absolute nonsense because we burn out in no time whatsoever. Uh, is there anyone who thinks, put your hand up now, speak or forever hold your... Uh, yeah. Virtual hand. <laughs> virtual hand, yeah. Uh, anyone who thinks that City could play with 10 men in the Premier League and still be competitive and perhaps, say, qualify for Europe or finish in the top four? No, but I do get Stu's point. I understand, I understand what, what, what he's saying. Is that he thinks that the, the caliber of squad that we have is, is sufficient to cast aside about 60% of the Premier League. Um, even if with 10 men, but obviously when, when he said it, what, what he wasn't thinking about is the impact on f- the fatigue, uh, and, and stamina and, and that constant, you know, it, it means, and also the confusion that can reign when a player doesn't know which part of the pitch they're covering or which player. Um, but I don't want to pile in on Steve having know what it's like to be piled in on. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I understand his point, but yeah, after about eight matches, you'd start to see the impact with fatigue and injuries as well when you're down a man. Yeah, I think we'd actually, despite picking fewer players, need a bigger squad. So the tight squad doesn't help City either Mm. if they were having to do that. So yeah, I I couldn't, I think, especially in a season like this, it would absolutely destroy them because. The team, obviously, about the passing, of course, get them so far. So, yeah, I see, I see Steve's point just... And I think Pep, I think he deserves some credit for what he did in Copenhagen in that. I don't, I don't know how much managers planned for situations like that, how to play with 10 men. But he still made it look... Yes, we've got better players. He still made it look quite seamless, even if the players themselves were a bit sloppy thereafter. Perhaps there was an element of fatigue. He still made it look seamless to you know, to play our game and not look inferior and not lose the game. But across no. across a Premier League season, Harry, I think we'd really struggle with overloads yeah. and with, of course, the amount of work that just taking one player would mean the rest of the players had to cover for. Mm. They're pony though, Copenhagen. I think a better team would have punished us mm. the other night. Yeah, you know, with better players on the on the field. I think I think what everyone said is is pretty spot on. I think the burnout. And I, I can't remember which one of you lads said it, but sort sort of point me to a game where City have won with ten men. The only one I can think of is Schalke in the Champions League, and that was an absolute smash and grab. Um, and of course, there's inferior teams in the Premier League, but. You know, over the course of thirty-eight games, and you, you I, are we factoring in the, the opposition? No, we've got ten men, or is it like a, a one-minute red card? You know, managers might set up differently to play against us if they know we have ten men compared to the inferiority complex when they come to the Etihad when we've got eleven. So all of that must have to be factored in if we're going to do it that way. I thought about that. You're going deep now. <laughs> <laughs> Palace at home last year is quite a good example where we obviously we went one nil down early but mm. we we tried to force the game naturally to come back and you know against a good quality team who are very you know have a very good record against city and have a few weapons in zaha Eze, etc and we actually they actually dealt with us quite easily in the end um and i think i think that would happen pretty routinely in the premier league okay a uh, couple of bullet points to finish off I'll, start, I'll stay with you, Lloyd. I've got a theory here. Mares penalties. 
my theory is, does he get a worse rap because of form that surrounds him for taking penalties? In other words, Sergio Aguero is of similar ability, but his misses would never get the same attention or reaction because he's Sergio Aguero and he's bloody brilliant and done lots of great stuff repeatedly for 10 years. Does that make sense to you? I think the I just found the narrative around Mara's penalties quite strange. He's a competent penalty taker and nothing more. And if we accept that, I don't see the problem when there aren't, if Haaland's not on the pitch, there's there's not many options for who else steps up to take penalties. I've heard friends call it, say he has mentality issues, i.e. misses big ones, but this wasn't really a big penalty. Sergio Aguero has missed one in the Champions League at Spurs that cost us. Mares hasn't taken a penalty that's cost us. It did cost us at Anfield, it did cost us at West Ham. It could have done. <laughs> yeah, we that's yeah, it's uh, but it didn't. I just wonder where you stand with him taking penalties and if we factor in other stuff to actually damn him for when he has the the nerve really to stand here to Mm. to stand up and take penalties when perhaps, you know, Ace had disagreed, well, we don't know who else would take them. Well, I don't, you know, because Maris takes them in training and is the best one. But I don't, for me, I don't feel there's anyone else in the team that keen to take them. So I respect him for that at the very least. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Um, taking a step back, I still think it's very odd that we don't have many penalty takers given our squad. It is quite a strange position to be in. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a striker. If you look across other teams, there are often, you know, uh, defensive midfielders, even even defenders who end up taking penalties. But in terms of Mares, for me, actually, I, I would imagine if you look at his record, he's probably got a similar. He he feels like he's got a similar penalty record to Aguero for me which I is probably think, mm. I think I looked it up manually so it could be wrong 9 out of 13 which ain't great now so it was 9 out of 12 obviously right I was going I was going to say I would guess it's around 75-80% mm. um, which really as a top level player you should be doing better than that um, I think statistically it, you have an 80% chance of scoring a penalty um, and I would expect, you know, a bit like, I think someone like Harry Kane is probably at the top end of where you, you could be. Uh, but I, I think you should be score, you should be scoring 85, 90% if you can. Harry Kane, who missed a Champions League penalty this week. He did. But that, <laughs> is a, that is a rare collector's item. We have to be frank. He is a outrageous penalty taker. Yeah. Um, but... On Mares specifically, I don't I don't have a massive problem with Mares taking penalties, mainly because we are in a very strange situation where no one seems to want to take them. I think the wrinkle for him is two. One, I think most fans think that there are other players who would be better than him, but these other players don't step up. So that's kind of not Mares's fault. Um I think the other thing is yeah, Mares's form probably does feed into it slightly. But that is a kind of separate topic, and I have to say, I don't think last night or the other night was a was another good day for Riyad Mahrez this season. I mean, he I thought he was anonymous, missed a penalty, and then got hooked. So and not a great bald. day for him. <laughs> and he handballed it. Oh my god, I forgot that. Mm, right. Yeah. Let's not so, get started. I mean, that. that's not his. That's not his fault, really. But that is it. <laughs> That's a, that is kind of compounding the issues, but yeah, I do a, think Mahrez, 
I do think Mahrez has been really shit this season um, and I've been very disappointed. Okay. Final point. Can I, so how, can I just say yeah, something yeah. about that? I think this is, I think this is really important because for me, it's about technique. So uh, I coached for years and when I was coaching, I actively discouraged all players when they took a penalty to try and blag the keeper. I coach them to say, hit it, top bins, bottom bins, as hard and direct as you can. If the keeper saves it, it's a magnificent save. Basically, reduce the, reduce the percentage probability of the, play, of the keeper being able to touch the ball. When Mares tries to fool the keeper... He's, he's, not, he's just not a very good actor and he often telegraphs it. And, wh- and when he telegraphs it, he puts it at a height that's perfect for the keeper. And that's what you saw on, on, on Tuesday night. Is he, he does that slow run up. If you really watch him, he does telegraph physically where he's going to put the ball. And unless he puts it top bins or bottom really, really precisely, he gives his keeper a really good chance to, to do it. So for Mares, he's got such a wild shot on him that I would always encourage him, look, just 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 choose choose your choose your point on the goal and hit it as hard and direct as you can. If the keeper saves it, it's a really good save. And I think that's the frustration. As soon as a player hesitates in the run-up, he, he creates that... Um, jeopardy for himself and it can end up looking stupid. Aguero used to do the same thing. He would try and blag the keeper and it's it's not a particularly easy thing to be able to do. And I think that, I do think that's, it, I think I think his penalty taken on Tuesday was slightly symptomatic of how he's probably feeling at the minute because it was, its position where it was placed was not confident. It, it was too easy for the keeper. But I just think technically sometimes we have to look at the way a player is taking a penalty, and then you can really see. You know, I think I agree. I think I think seventy five, eighty percent of a top level world class player for penalty taken is not good enough. I think I think you should. And if and if you're not getting in the nineties, give it to somebody else. Well, it's, yeah, the height was the issue on this one. It was that's not yeah. how you put a penalty. Of course, the keeper got the other way of saying right, no problem, and that's the. Nature of penalties, it's a, it's a competition, uh, a battle of wits between two people. Uh, but yes, but it's, like, but that's, but that's the it point. to be 80% is, but, but, is the figure but, but, you're hitting for to be a competent penalty. But, but that, that's the point. I don't think it is a battle of wits. Right. I, th- I think the player should always score the penalty. Always. Because they have the advantage. Okay, because the the keeper is coming from a stationary position, so so that so they have to make that split that split decision, um, you know, in the heat at the moment. So I, it's the player. The odds should always be that the, the striker get scores, and I think as soon as you hesitate, slow down, try and try and sight the keeper out, you're increasing the odds for them to be able to save it, and and that's why. And it's not being old school; it's about being direct. Choose your point. Take take it if if it's well hit and the keeper saves it, it's a really good save. But most of the time, the keeper will not save it because physically they cannot get there quick enough. I think always is stretching it a bit. Come on, <laughs> no, it, 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 no, but it is. You're twelve yards away. You yes, hit it hard. Always. You hit it in the corner. Yes, but even the best. Well, we're all pining for Yaya and Mario, of course, who were perfection, absolute perfection. But I think. Saying always, I mean, it's like saying always the striker puts the ball in the right place when he shoots. They will no, be. no, what, 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 what I meant was always the striker ha- is odds on favourite. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, odds on. Yeah, Definitely, always. Yes, the yeah. Always, and, and, and they should hit the ball with that start in mind that but, they are favourite to score. Yeah. No, that's fair enough, yeah. 
Whilst you're, whilst you're here, Chris, though, very, very briefly, uh, we do want, do want to move on to the preview and I do want to very briefly talk about another player just for a couple of minutes. Whilst you're on, can you just give your uh, professional, and no, I'm not being sarcastic, so put your bullying book away. Yeah, your yeah, prof- yeah. Oh. Uh, your professional <laughs> views of the Mares handball and the unnatural position views of uh, giving that penalty in the first place. Uh, so I'll assume with Mara- you think the red card was absolutely fine. You don't need to mention yeah, that if you still. Yeah, yeah red, red card was fine. G- Gomez was caught wrong side, and he right. and he prevented a, a, a possible goal scoring opportunity. Um, for for Mares, um, it's it comes down to su- subjectivity. Is that if 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 it hit his hand and he scored immediately from it, it would have been ruled out anyway. But it didn't. There was another there was another phase of play. Um, the referees had to decide whether or not it was a deliberate act by Mares. The fact that it took the referees so long to look at the screen to decide means it wasn't a clear and obvious error. I don't think it was deliberate. Another referee did think it was d- deliberate. Again, it comes down to that s- subjectivity. I think Asa made a point that Mares he could see it coming out of the sky, so he should have been a bit smarter about it. But uh, I think it was borderline and therefore not a clear and obvious error. So I think the goal should have stood. I mean, yes, he had time. He could have known it was hitting it, but I, I just don't think you can say he deliberately. No, I don't think you can say the referee he knew. You can't know that he was being deliberate about it hitting his hand. That's what I'm saying. And no, you can't. The unnatural hand thing, such a grey area, is it not? The I mean, how do you choose? Uh, yeah, 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 but it wasn't so much. You see, the thing was, it wasn't so much about when you jump. Obviously, to to levitate yourself, you you use your arms as 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 leverage. It was more about where he, he had his hands on a city player, um, and and because he was holding on to that city player, his arms were were above that elbow position, so it was unnatural. I thought it was very harsh, but. By the letter of the law, it was a penalty because his arms were in an unnatural position. Proximity is starting to come into it a lot. We saw a couple of decisions go both ways last week about how close the player was to the ball when it was kicked. Um, I thought I thought it was I thought it was a little bit harsh uh, okay. the the penalty which we received. Well, we're going to move on. We're going to look <laughs> forward now. Uh, Sunday apparently there's quite a big game. Uh, yeah, Sunday afternoon, half four. It's Liverpool against Manchester City. I'm going to ask you all. I'll start with you, Harry. How are you feeling about the match? Are you as nervous as a derby day about this one? Are you as confident as you are, as you would be perhaps about a derby day? Uh, never as nervous as derby day, just because of proximity to United fans rather than Liverpool fans and the people that I work with and I surround myself with. Um, Deep as Salford, is it, yeah? Yeah, deep, literally as deep as Salford, yeah. Um, how am I feeling about the match? I'm in a weird grey area between confident... Yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't know what it is about Liverpool um, at the moment. It's weird because, you know, obviously everyone's talking about the defence. Um, but going forward, I saw a mad stat the other day that it's like 51% of Liverpool's goals this season have come against Rangers and Bournemouth. Um, so <laughs> they're obviously not scoring at the same rate or with the same... I don't know, clinicality. Um, but they're also conceding goals at will. So really, with the form City are in and the striker City have up front, we should be extremely confident. But there is still something inside of me that just feels like they could use this to kickstart a bit of a season. Um, but I don't know, maybe that's just being, being really pessimistic. Uh, Lloyd, what about you? 
It's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I've generally been very, very nervous before Liverpool games in, mm. in recent seasons. And I, I'm not someone that really gets that nervous about um, City games, to be honest, unless it's the Champions League final in Porto when you find out Fernandinho is on the bench. Um, <laughs> sorry to bring that up. Uh, but Let it go. <laughs> um there is some there is I, I'm with Harry there is still something about Liverpool even though they're not in good form and I don't think Rangers really makes a difference they are still if they play well they are well set up to you know cause us problems we've seen it plenty of times now I am in a bit of a grey area like you two in that I've watched quite a lot of Liverpool this season actually um, mainly because I've been with Liverpool supporting mates just when their games happen to be, to be going on. And they are not the same team. I've seen enough now to uh, be pretty convinced that I don't think they're in a title race and I think they're in a top four race. Um, the midfield looks, I mean, way off. Um, I think Henderson is looking his age. Obviously, Klopp's played around with playing for kind of up front rather than his usual midfield three. Fabinho's even been dropped, which I think, you know, if you spoke to, if you suggested that to Liverpool fans twelve months ago, they would, they'd literally laugh at you. Oh, best DM in the world, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. Um, good penalty taker as well <laughs> on the subject. Um, but I mean, yeah, convention and common wisdom, and you know the eye test suggests that we should definitely have the better of them on on Sunday. But it's at Anfield, um, that definitely does help them. And, you know, there's defi- there is obviously a chance that this could be a rallying moment, again, like Harry says. So I am, I am quite confident because I think we're playing very well and they're not. But there is obviously something about Liverpool and Klopp and we've been burnt at Anfield before, so... I, it's, it's quite difficult to characterise, hence the rambly answer. Yeah, well, it is. Uh, Liverpool, Chris, Liverpool, for their problems. And there's a caveat in this. Uh, <laughs> I've not lost at home in front of a crowd since 2017, because, <laughs> of course, we've won there. Will it be as tough a visit as ever? I'm in that grey area as well. I mean, I can see, look, there's opportunities there to really strike at them, but... I don't know. It's Liverpool away. But then again, we draw against them a lot. So we've only lost one in the last mm. four visits there in the league. Mm. And we've won one and we've drawn two. So it's something has changed perhaps from the Champions League you know, days where you went there, I think, perhaps with an inferiority complex. The players won't have that. We're, you know, bookies. We're favourites there. <laughs> They're like two to one to win at home against us, or it might mm. be three to one. We're like evens. It's is it a golden opportunity to strike, or do you think Klopp could change things around, be more cautious, and it's as tough a visit as it's ever been? I think um, just to echo a lot of what Harry and Lloyd are saying there. So, so I the home game against Liverpool last season, I've never been as nervous of a fixture in, in living memory I mean I was like vomit inducing nervous um, I walked around the I, park with Covid sweating yeah, because yeah, I couldn't was, watch it, was, it by myself at home yeah. it was just it, it's, it's because there was so much at stake and the teams are, are a parity yeah. I think this I think this season 
as as Lloyd describes, there are there are fundamental issues with Liverpool, um, and I think that they're playing quite. I've seen a lot of dysfunctional performances for them. Ra- yeah, Rangers. They're playing Rangers, and you know, and, and they still went one nil down at the early part of the game. I think at the minute, any any anxiety that we have about playing Liverpool is based on reputation because they are not the same team as they were last season. What one of the key things that, that I think has changed is 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 the way is is, is the difference. It's the difference between the two teams. Is that for all um, Klopp? bring has brought to football and the way he's transformed um, Liverpool I still don't think he's he's necessarily a progressive manager because I've I've not seen him really explicitly adapt change his style in the same way that I've seen Guardiola change Guardiola has made tweaks season upon season in order for us to adapt and to become a better team and I've not seen that with Liverpool so if you look at it at the moment Liverpool have got, based on what their median is, they've gone backwards this season for a number of different reasons, individually and collectively. If you look at City, we've we've progressed forward this season with the addition of Haaland. Can I just say, Chris, I think my guess is he'll try and do that. He'll try and make changes for Sunday and it could work or it could go horribly wrong. On this occasion, you feel he has to do something. Well, yeah, but I just don't know whether that team's capable mm. of doing that. I, yeah. I, that that team, that team for me, Liverpool have have one way of playing, and when they play it well, they are absolutely imperious and 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 peerless. But when it's not for, it's basically if 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 City and Liverpool were like Olympic athlete runners, we're very much a ten k runner, and they're a sprint. And this season, they've lost their they've lost their pace. And and whereas we we'll, we we go at a much more s- steady pace, they, they they've individually got players who can pull things out, but too many of Liverpool's players at the minute are not in particularly good form, um, and so going to Anfield always is a challenge. But we used to get battered there because we'd go in naively and they would mug us in the first twenty minutes. We've drawn a lot recently because that doesn't happen anymore. I think if City scores first, it's game over. Can I, can I just pick up on that, that that point about how they'll set up? I mean, surely to God, they're not going to set up with that four-two-three-one they've been setting up within the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, no chance. Last week they were completely overrun by a midfield of Odegaard, Jaka, and Partey. So compare that to Rodri, Bernardo, or Gundogan and, and Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, it'd be absolutely curtains for them. So I think they will pack the midfield and make it a bit more difficult for City. So there will be changes. That's who you, you leave out as well, and obviously they've got big lads missing in the in the forward line. Luis Diaz, who I think's been their best player by a mile this season, is missing. I think that's probably a bigger miss than you know some of the defensive players they've got out. Um, so it's just about us winning that midfield battle again, uh, and that's why I think Klopp will change it. Uh, Lloyd, the pressure of this game, I think it's fair to say, a City win ends Liverpool's title chances. Uh, thus, is the game more important for them than us? Hashtag means more. <laughs> Which for once might actually be right. But you see where we get to that. City's, obviously it's a big game. City lose, I'll be yeah. absolutely gutted uh, and in a mood for two days. But of course, we'll still be favourites for the title and life goes on and we'll try and win the next game. So, you know, like Brighton at home. Uh, but for them, they have to win this game, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I really think 
the the weird thing about this game is actually I think where we're at at the moment we could lose at Anfield on Sunday and I think we could probably lose in quite an embarrassing fashion and I think we could very easily bounce back and I don't think I don't sorry think I'm just going to sample that first half of the sentence and put it out on Twitter as a prediction <laughs> Oh, did where you were going then? Yeah. I, I, I did as well. When it said embarrassing fashion, I thought, "Whoa, yeah. where are we going yeah. here?" But yeah, yeah, I see your point. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I basically think we could get, you know, maybe not battered, but I think we could lose relatively uh, heavily and you know not play particularly well, and genuinely think it couldn't touch the sides. And I have not felt like that about many City teams, and that includes title-winning teams before. Um, I think we've got a resilience this season that we possibly haven't had in previous seasons. And I think Haaland has definitely changed that in that when we're not playing well in other games, I think we are just a completely different proposition. Um, and I still don't think we fully got up to to speed yet in terms of exactly what we can do. So, And we could go behind within the match itself and not feel like absolutely that's another really good that's another really good point we could you know we could go one or two down and I would still fancy us to come out of the game with something at Anfield whereas generally that has never happened I think it did happen once with Silver where he played amazingly in the second half and we got back into the game uh, a little bit Um, but yeah essentially I think if Liverpool lose Oof. it could it could be it could be pretty uh, pretty bad for them. I don't think like knives come out for Klopp, etc. But I think the chat around the Klopp seventh season, you know, whether that team's at the end of its cycle, etc. I think that will really intensify. And I'm not sure I completely agree in that it ends their title hopes. I think it buries their title hopes. I think their title hopes are over already. Um, and I think a win against us would more just give a bit of a glean that it, there's still a potential for it when I've seen far too much from Liverpool this season to suggest they're not in the race. Uh, yeah, we should mention, so the 13 points behind City with a game in hand, but I think that game is Chelsea, the postponed game. So mm-hmm. not a given, obviously. So yes, they need the points. Uh, Harry, just for the fans as well, as I say, one for one there, but there was no one there. Yeah. Uh, it would be huge as a City fan to see City win Anfield for those that are there. Yeah, yeah. You say that again. I mean, it's not just that as well. It's the the swing that we'd have on them that obviously would, like you said, it'd, it'd be five games behind and that'd mean City losing five games and Liverpool being perfect. So I think the psychological boost of winning um, there at the weekend would put them out of it like it did in that game when we played him behind closed doors. I think it could have sort of a similar effect. Um, there's no sort of inferiority complex when we go there like there has been in the past at the moment. I feel like we've got the better of them the majority of the times that we've been there since. Like you said, what was it? What's he say? One defeat in the last five there, did you say? Uh, in the Premier League. So yeah, they, one in they, four, yeah. One in four, one in four. lost in the league, I think, that but yeah, the psychological swing, I think that we, I thought, I felt we were better at Anfield last season. I felt we were better in the home game as well, but we didn't win either. But it felt like a different game to, than it was a few years ago. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. I mean, in that game last season, a few decisions 
go our way and, and we do win the game. It does feel like we just need that sort of difference in the box. So maybe Haaland can be that difference um, on Sunday. But we'll see. But we'll see. They, they, they still do have players that, like Salah did last season, that can pull something out of the bag, even though he's not, you know, been in tremendous form in the league. He obviously bounced back in the Champions League. They've still got them sort of players. You know, they're not, despite the form, they, they still have them players who can sort of pull that sort of stuff out. Hmm. Yeah. Well, going to ask you, Chris, about that before we look at City and we try and pick the bones out the best side. Diaz is out, but that could help Salah in a way if he gets to move inwards and Trent Alexander-Arnold's out. Does that make them stronger? <laughs> so, um, yeah. With that, with, 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 Alexander-Arnold being out, then obviously they do. They are reduced on that on that right hand side in terms of attacking prowess. I think I think defensively, um, they might be a little bit stronger because they're bringing somebody who will be a better defender. Um, there's, I still, I think you know, I, I think I think I think you're right. Diaz for them is a big miss. He's he's still been retaining that energy and that uh, he's, he's a very forthright player. He he he, he contributes a massive thrust uh, up front for that and um, and I think he's been obscuring the the extent to which Salah's form has dropped off, regardless of Salah's six minute hat trick against Rangers. He, his form has dipped massively. Um, uh, this season, um, I've not seen enough of Nunes to 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 to, to whether I think he he is a real threat. Uh, I think he's a live wire, but as we've seen earlier on the season, that that can be counterproductive for him. But uh, they're just they're not they're just not the same. They're not they're not the same side that we played last season. And I th- and I think something that's really really important here to mention as well. The reason I'm going in pretty confident, and most reasonable Liverpool fans I've spoken to this week, albeit they are a small sample size. Are fearing the worst, they, 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 and I think for me the big difference is the Harlem factor is significant. But Harlem coming in has not made us create any more chances. We're creating the same level of chances. Harlem coming in has made us take more of those chances, and that's why he seems he's got such a massive goal haul. You think about that home game that we drew to all. The reason we drew to all is because in the first half we failed to go in at half time six nil up, and we should have done. Because mm. Sterling had so many chances, not not just him, other players. We should have gone in six nil up in that first half, but we didn't. If Harlan was playing in that game last season at home, we'd have gone in six nil up easily because he'd have taken all those chances. And so that's why I feel even more confident. What has really shifted is Pep used to try and meet Klopp fire with fire. So if Pep would go in and go at a high pace to try and nullify Liverpool's high pace, what has shifted over the last two seasons is Pep doesn't do that anymore. He goes in at a much more pragmatic pace. He tries to take the sting out of the game, slow the game down and keep possession. And Liverpool do struggle with that sometimes. Uh, and that's, I think, is, is what has changed. Um, and I think Liverpool will always remain a threat because they've got some quality players in there. But at the moment, we are the superior side who's playing at a higher level. Um, and and so I actually so I actually think that 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 regardless of even if they were full strength Liverpool they're not functioning properly right now and they have deeper fundamental reasons which might be about the cycle of a manager I'm I'm not sure but I it's still it, 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 it's I still remain confident about the game. Can I ask you a philosophical question to finish off uh, about about the four one when we won there was in an empty stadium you remember that penalty mm. do you mm. not? Um, on Diaz 
the non-penalty dive Salah falling over. My, uh, philosoph- yeah, yeah, my yeah. philosophical question is, if a Mo Salah falls in a football ground and no one is around to hear it, <laughs> does it make a sound? Does it? <laughs> <laughs> Did it, it will always... Ma- it will always make a sound because it mean it means more, Howard. You know that it means more. A, a scream as he does his platoon yeah. uh, poster. Yeah. yeah, pose. Right, we need to pick the bones out of. Well, I guess there's one final question first, uh, Harry Alloy. Do you think Liverpool's approach before we try and pick our city team? I'm so conflicted on that. Uh, good options, but I'm conflicted. Do you think Liverpool will try the? Yeah, what they've tried in the past and try and blow us away in the first half an hour. No. No. I think that would be suicide for them. Because um, we're better placed to deal with that nowadays, yeah? They're not a pressing team this season. Yeah, I think you've seen it. You've, the Gagan press is gone. Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, from watching it the weekend, they are not play. I think Sky analysed it with Neville and um, with... With Martin Tyler, who needs to retire, um, they uh, they they showed that I think Liverpool are playing on average about th- just under three meters um, less high up on the pitch. They're retreating further. Their midfield aren't pressing in the same way, and I think the loss of Mane up front has meant they're just not the same team out of possession that they were. I don't think they're capable of doing that blitzkrieg kind of twenty minutes that they were three four years ago. Um, so no I think that would be a really poor idea for them to do and for me I if I was Klopp actually on the weekend I'd drop Nunes and I would play Jota, Firmino and Salah I think that's probably their best route to success against City um, and I think generally when Liverpool have caused us the most problems when their kind of technical attackers combine and you know look at what Jota and and Mane managed kind of last season at the Etihad. So that would be my blueprint if I was Klopp. I think if he comes out and tries to do his uh, famed heavy metal approach, I think we'll, I think we'll smash them. Yeah, I think Fabinho has to, yeah, he's a definite start. Has to be, I'd be amazed if he's not, because he's scoring the goals right Well, he's now. playing very well, yeah. actually, Fabinho. He's been really good when I've seen him. Right, Harry, nice easy question for you. What team should Pep pick? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not just asking you. Uh, so let's talk about the big options. Yeah. So the, the the issues here are fullback, and I again I can see multiple arguments about having Ake on the left and Cancelo on the right, or a Kanji mm. remaining on the right, keeping Cancelo on the left where he's used to playing, and then yeah. of course ta- will we still target Gomez? So I'm surely not Milner. Surely not Milner starting this game. Oh, please, please do pick him, but he won't. Gomez on the right. Do we still target that side? Do you trust Grealish to make, you know, to profit from that? Bernardo Silva in the middle could help him on the left and get overloads. Yeah. Or is he on the right? Grealish drops. Should Gundogan start? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> Off you go, you've got 30 seconds. You know, like clip of Pep on BT Sport before the Champions League final. I feel like I've just listened to that. Um, Apart from that, I think the the team picks itself. Yeah, let's start with the defence. Probably just to pick up on what Lloyd just said before, I think the difference between us playing against teams like Liverpool with the press is we're we're a lot more confident on the ball at the back. A lot of the time when we did concede goals at Anfield, it'd come through our own enforced errors where we'd try and play the ball out from the back. Uh, and lose the ball in dangerous areas. Ultimately. Um, 
Otamendi, yeah, and Stones as well at, at times. Um, I remember the the nil nil there and, and Pep lights Laporte at left back, and I wonder if he he may go that way again and and shift Cancelo over to the right with with Akanji and and Diaz, maybe even Ake because Ake has seemed like preferred personnel. Um, I think that could be the way he goes because with Gomez and obviously everyone spoke about Gomez over the last week. Uh, I thought he played pretty well in the derby and then played pretty well against Copenhagen at home and then I thought it'd be interesting to see if he was trusted to play at Southampton and he wasn't. So I think it's pretty clear to see that Pep doesn't really trust him just yet. Uh, that's not me hammering him. I just think that, you know, he's he's a, a young talent that obviously hasn't been around the squad long. So I think he'd go with more trusted personnel in this game, uh, especially with a game of this magnitude. Going further forward, um, talking about Grealish, um, I think, like you said about Milner, I think Foden has to start on the left purely because, you know, there's, there's no Trent. I know, obviously, there's this discourse around Trent defensively, but if if he's going to start Joe Gomez on that side, you know, within seconds of Gomez coming on the other day, Martinelli absolutely cooked him. Um, and I know Martinelli might have a tad, might be a tad quicker than Foden, uh, but I think Foden could, could really sort of exploit that pace. And whether that means pushing Jack out to the right, I'd, I'd be quite happy with that, um, really. Um, uh, and then I think the sort of rest of the team picks itself, unless you want to put Bernardo Silva out on the right-hand side and, and bring Gundogan in for the, the control in midfield. But he has plenty of options in them areas. I think I've covered it all there. <laughs> right, over to you. Who do you want or expect to see him in those full-back areas? And yes, the left and the Bernardo Silva where to play him issues. And stuff like that. Your thoughts on whether Gundogan, of course, should be a must-start because of the the poise he brings. I do have issues about the dynamism of having, say, Rodri Gundogan in the middle, but his class is, yeah, mm. is obvious. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure about Grealish on the right, Harry. I'll be honest. Um, but that aside, I well, I think we all expect Gomez at left back now. Um, so we're agreed on that. Um, <laughs> I think there's a one percent chance of that happening. Um, yeah, less probably. I if it I, so, what I would like to see is, I would like to see the similar back four to what we saw at Southampton. So I think Cancelo left back, Akanji right back, and then Diaz and Ake. I think that's probably the best shout at the moment, albeit not ideal. Um, I think retaining Cancelo on the left is is what we should do because of um, their issues at right back. And I think obviously Cancelo will find himself a lot in those positions. Front three, obviously Foden starts, Haaland starts. I'd like to see Foden on the right. I think Grealish should get the nod. Um, I don't want to see Mares on in the starting eleven, please. Um, I think there's a chance that Pep will play Bernardo outright and Gundogan in the middle and we play the four so to speak I know that the noisy boys don't think that's going to happen but I've seen I've seen too many big games under Pep where he wants to play Gundogan and if he wants to play Gundogan then it generally means we play four, we play the, the four together so I think there's a chance that happens but if it was down to me I would drop Gundo I'd play Rodri, Bernardo, Kev, Grealish, Haaland, Foden would be my front six. 
Chris, over to you finally. Are we past the point now where we, we see Pep do some left field uh, crazy, crazy uh, selection that none of us on this podcast will at any point suggest might happen? Though Harry has mentioned Laporte at left back, which has already given me uh, <laughs> given me uh, worries about Sunday's match because it's been a long while yeah. since something like that's happened. I'm not sure this is the time to be doing it. We had we had this pre-derby discussion in it. Now's not the time to be doing strange things when in for big games. But obviously, if Pep makes such a decision, he's doing it for a tactical reason. So yeah, how do you see how do you see the team playing out? Well, I mean, Guardiola does strange things all the time. It's just that the players are, yeah. are just more, much more adept at being able to, con- like, you know, bring in, you know, bringing our full, particularly bringing Walker into the midfield, you know, inverting that fullback position. They just become better at doing it. And it's really, I always find it really challenging because um, most of the time I'm, I'm saying put the right cogs in the right positions and the machine will work. But there are also dynamics at play at the minute, which are really, really powerful. So the Haaland-Foden dynamic is incredibly strong at the minute. Those two have connected superbly. So you think, right, well, that, that's the default. That's got to go in there. Foden left-hand side, Haaland in the middle. And then there's also the dynamic of Bernardo. Bernardo loves playing Liverpool and he's always impactful. Um, I I think that if... I think that if, if Liverpool were, were, were the pressing team, as, as Lloyd described before, if they were the pressing team of last season, I'd want Bernardo in the midfield to have a double pivot with, um, with Rodri so he can retrieve that ball and bring it forward. Um, it, so, but, but I, th- I think that, I, I, guess it, I guess for me, it kind of takes care of itself. If Foden, if Foden starts, he's got, he's got to be on the left-hand side with Haaland in the middle. So then I, I would put Bernardo... Um, on that right-hand side, because I don't know where Grealish goes in that situation. I think that, I think Gundogan, as a player, his, his game has shifted quite a lot. Whilst he is very much that pauser player and he controls, he's also can be devastating by coming on on the invisible side in terms of putting balls in the net. So I, I would say Bernardo, Haaland, Foden and Gundo, Rodri um, and De Bruyne in, in the middle. And then I think go with the same bat line that uh, Lloyd said, which is Cancelo, um, Ake, Diaz and Akanji on the right-hand side. Uh, how you don't, uh, well, you don't see Laporte starting. Uh, seemed fresh in the week. But. Um, no, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I guess I'm thinking physicality. Mm. And I do think that Ake is more physical than Laporte. Yeah. Um, so that's probably that's probably, and also I, I also think okay, I, I want at the minute we have the fantastic dilemma of there's a bit of a parity amongst all our centre halves at the moment, and that's a really great uh, position to, to be in, and I want to make sure that we keep moving Ake forward. Is that there was there was there were, obviously he was talking about going to Chelsea in, in the summer. I'd like him to be a stayer. And so I want to give him more time and progress him further. Sliding doors moment, perhaps. Him not yeah, well. Uh, Harry, just about the full-backs. If we're, we're almost certainly playing the centre-half at full-back. Yeah. yeah. Ake at left, Akanji at right. They're not going to be prolific going forward, are they, either yeah. way? But is that necessarily a bad thing in a game like this? Well, th- this is why I said you, you might go back to that Laporte at left back at Anfield. Mm. I don't know if how mental that is compared to having a Kanji a centre half at right back. I don't know if that's just purely based on where we have Cancelo. So it might it, it might just be purely based on that. Where does Pep want Cancelo? Does he want him 
at, on the left where there's no Trent, or does he want him on the right uh, attacking maybe Simakas's side? I don't think Robertson is back for this game, so is he? So well, he came on as um, a sub, didn't he, during the week? Oh, maybe so then. it's possible. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, potentially. Then it, it depends on where they they're going to play him. Um, and obviously, in recent weeks, he's pr- preferred a Kanji to be the right back, uh, and Cancelo stay on the left uh, from the off. And it's only changed when we've we've sort of had injuries. So I, th- I think the, the main part, like you said, is that they're obviously not going to be as good going forward, although Akanji has had a few forays forward in the last couple of weeks and, and links up quite well. So I think the, the, the fullback situation is entirely based on where Pep thinks he's going to get the best out of Cancelo. Uh, and that could be on, that could be on the, the left if Robertson is back on the, the Liverpool's left. Yeah. And Lloyd, about Grealish, sorry to talk about him again. Uh, I don't take much from the Copenhagen game about how players played because it was just a strange game. Especially, uh, some will say that was a chance to further his cause more because it wasn't a great game for Grealish as it wasn't for many others. But the question is, do you trust Grealish now that he can terrorise a fullback if he plays in this game? Interesting question. I, don't I guess trust it's key to picking the team in a way, is it not? I don't trust him to terrorise a defender. because Maybe terrorise is the wrong word, yes. Be productive, yeah. yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think he's, um, he's, he's at that level yet, albeit there's been gradual improvement, I think, over the last kind of four to six weeks with Grealish, which has, been, which has definitely been good. For me, he should start. I think his ability to play those little one-twos, um, spin Gomez around on, on a penny, I think actually w- should work really well, particularly um, if Cancelo can stay down the left. I know that usually sometimes those two can struggle in that they get in each other's way. Mm. But I think against Gomez, actually, that could work quite nicely. And Phil has generally played his best football this season from the right. So that's what I would like to see. Um, I mean, ultimately... I think the only impediment to Grealish starting is probably Bernardo and and Pep playing the four because I, I he doesn't you know he doesn't deserve for Morris to start ahead of him and irrespective of what we've seen from Alvarez and Palmer you know he's he's clearly ahead of both of those in the pecking order so I would I'd like to see him play I think it would be a nod from Pep that um, you know we're very much confident but I do I do expect there's a chance of Bernardo. Yeah. I think key is where the good one starts because then it shifts everyone else, does it not? So yeah, well, when I say Bernardo, I mean, I, I mean because Gundogan plays, yeah, as I'm sure you exactly. know exactly. Well, that, yeah, you, you wait to see if he's picked, and then everything else has to be you put the you put it all together. Well, I, I think if you if when the team comes out at half three, if you read from Edison down and you see the name Gundogan, I think you probably know what comes next after that. Hmm. Uh, Twitter meltdown, whoever's picked, let's be honest. So, <laughs> always the way. Uh, one of the final questions then, uh, Chris, I'll go to you first. Just how do you see this game panning out? Do you, impossible question, of course. Is there a possibility? It could be quite a cautious game for a while because no one wants to blink first. No one wants to go behind. Mm-hmm. I, I do think there's an element of truth to what we've been talking about is that uh, Liverpool... Uh, will not go. Will not play like they've played over the past few seasons. They will not go try and mug us in the first twenty minutes, unless 
Klopp thinks that's the only possible way the route to, to beating us. Um, I I don't necessarily think Liverpool will drop deep, but I think they will be more they will be more cautious, um, which I think will play into into our hands defensively. Uh, they're they're not as strong, and their midfield is certainly not as strong. Uh, as I said before, I think that um, that if, if we can get the first goal and it's relatively early, and by that I mean within the first twenty twenty five minutes, then I think that that we will dominate um, the game. If if Liverpool do go all heavy metal and come flying out, they they are more vulnerable to the counter attack than they've ever been in the last five seasons. Um, so I'd like to see us control it, nullify all of their threats. Um, and even if we end up playing like a, a steady, reasonably uneventful 1-0 or 2-0 win, that, that'll be fine by me. But I just, I've never been as confident going to Anfield to play them than I have in the last five seasons at the moment. And that and that's that's not based on gut instinct. That's not based on wishful thinking. That's based on fat, facts that are in front of me that Liverpool's position at the moment in the league is very much symptomatic of where they are as a team. Um, and I think that right now, City are infinitely superior to them in most parts of the pitch. Has the Rangers result not changed that confidence at all? No, not at all. But because it's kind of you know it, it, it's it's rain. When I still think it's important that Rangers scored first. I think that's really critical. Even though they then went and conceded seven, they still fought. They still scored first. A better team would defend that lead much more effectively. Liverpool got a taste of what they've had more more recently about scoring at will. But they're playing Rangers, and they're playing Rangers that will be shell shocked who don't meet who don't meet teams of, of Liverpool's standards and capability on a regular basis. City do so. I think I hope it gives Liverpool some um, added incentive that, that that they fool themselves into thinking that that they're back on form. United thought the same thing after after a run of four victories, and then we pretty much put to bed that new sense of self and that new sense of entitlement they had. And I anticipate a similar thing could happen on Sunday. Right, all is left is a score prediction. Sorry, Chris, you start. I must insist. Okay, uh, I'm going to say two-one to City. Okay, Harry. Yeah, I, th- I think we've got to be brave. I think with the, the sort of the way Liverpool are defending at the moment, I think we've got to really attack that. And even if we do lose the ball, I think that transition from midfield to attack has been really, really poor this season. So I think we've got to take a few more risks than we would usually do at Anfield. Um, and then it's all about taking the chances. And obviously I've got confidence in the man we have up top to take them chances. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 2-0, sister. And yeah, we came from behind at Anfield last season, but do you feel more than ever now that we're better, you know, that going behind just isn't the end of the world for City at Anfield? Yeah, it's probably symptomatic of the way both teams are playing at the moment. You know, I've got confidence we can sort of score goals whenever we want. That's never changed, really. Um, but but couple that with the way Liverpool are defending and the spaces they're leaving and the dangerous players we have in them spaces, I think there's opportunities there that we could score a lot of goals. Lloyd, your prediction? Not a clue, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I think Sorry. it's a, I think it's very hard to predict. Um, but if pressed, I will go for three-one to City. Are you glad as well the Arsenal games off during the week? Is it 
or does it not? Is it again? Is that impossible to say? Yeah, I think if you having were, that <laughs> and Brighton could have made it just. Yeah, I don't know. It could have been a great week, but it could have been a more problematic week as well. Yeah, I mean, ask, I think ask me that question after I know what happens yeah. <laughs> on Sunday. But yeah, I do I think it would have so, been. Yeah. I do think it would have been helpful actually in the round to play Arsenal. Um, but they are playing. I, I felt that two weeks ago, but they've continued in a vein that makes me doubt that slightly. But. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah it, a lot of it depends on how we go against Liverpool, I expect. Yeah, we don't know when we eventually play them. We don't know the situation of the two teams or the league table either. I'm going to go 2-1 as well to City. It, I don't think we'll run away with it, but hey, <laughs> every preview, <laughs> games haven't turned out how I thought, so I thought United would be very Paul and Hattrick, Howard, you heard it here. First. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I... I I couldn't have I couldn't have comprehended being six one up against United, even though we're a better side. So who knows? It's going to be a fascinating game, and the nerves will be kicking in, no doubt, very soon from me. Anyway, Chris, thanks very much for coming on. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Howard. Yeah, Harry, thank you very much for taking time out. Yeah, I loved it, pal. Nice one. Yeah, and Lloyd, thank you too, and uh, good luck with your medical results. I hope you're back up and uh, playing football very soon. Yeah, cheers, mate. Right, that's it. We are off to buy a single bottle of Copperberg to lob up the Liverpool team bus. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Take care, stay safe, and as always, up the blues.